0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 344th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's often implicated but never proxicated. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage at OkoAssassin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey everyone, Derek here once again, looking forward to probably one of our longer episodes tonight since there is a ton of news to talk about. I want to remind our listeners here that the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance communities. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the
0: best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc. Hope you guys are all safe down there in Florida, by the way. Where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast and our Florida uh, brethren. So, Derek, 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 what a crazy day in Magic history, MGG Finance history as well, I suppose. There is so much going on here.
1: There is. It, it's unbelievable, honestly. I, I thought we'd have enough to talk about on Sunday, and then on Monday, and then today we got slapped by across the face, essentially, by Wizards with 18 different news-breaking news. So, plenty to talk about, but we will start with our four normal segments. We're going to kick things off with the MTGO Weekend Review of Segment 1, and followed that up by Segment 2, the Top Movers of the Week, and we'll touch on why we thought these cards saw significant gains. After that, we'll move on to Segment 3, The Cards to Watch, where we'll share uh, the key cards that we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, Segment 4, we'll wrap things up with our topics of the week, because there are plenty, uh, which will include touching on the 30th magic anniversary packs along with the special secret layer that's upcoming Uh, also dominary united reveals and a couple new secret layers from assassin's creed to final fantasy entering into the magic
0: universe we've also got uh, a hasbro pulse conference secret layer that launched over the weekend and we've got transformer cards that were revealed as includes in the brothers war so as you said tons to cover Let's go ahead and jump right in on Segment 1, our metagame week in review. Over on Magic Online for the Modern Challenge this past Saturday, things were looking pretty standard. Uh, Living End was in first, Creativity Combo in second. We had Blue-Red Murktide in fourth. Crashing Footfalls with Four Leyline Binding in sixth. The Blue-Red Breach deck with Emery Lurker of the Lock showing up in seventh, so that's two weeks in a row for top eights on that deck and four-color Omnath Yorion was an eighth. Easily, the two decks that jumped out at me over in this modern uh, event were the third and fifth place decks, both because they were running four times Death Shadow in shells that are slightly different than we're normally used to seeing. For quite some time, Death Shadow's home, natural home was a Jund Shadow build, then it became a Grixis Shadow build, then Shadow left the format entirely for something like six to twelve months, and now it's back again in various incarnations. And this week in the third place list, we have a fairly standard looking black red mid-range list, but four times shadow in that one. Yeah,
1: that was pretty good. The shadow just in general has been on the rise, uh, especially since Leyline Binding's release. The other thing that struck me was I saw several decks, which you know maybe I've been missing it, but Inquisition of Kozalek. Uh, in the third place and the fifth place deck with two copies I haven't really seen that much lately uh, and those are in the death shadow builds as well so uh, a little bit more discard maybe that's a reaction to some of the you know profound threats in the format at the moment and
0: trying to get rid of that clear the way uh, but otherwise seemed pretty standard affair. i mean the funny thing about inquisition is it's gotten naturally worse after modern horizons 2 because subtlety grief fury uh, Solitude are all uh, four and five mana casting cost spells that uh, Inquisition can't touch. It can't touch Leyline Binding. That's a six casting cost spell in hand. Omnath is a four. Murktide Regent is an eight. So there's a whole bunch of things that it needs to target that it can't. Um, so seeing it, it in greater profusion in the format leads me to believe that it's going after things it can grab, like perhaps, uh, indomitable creativity, which is X triple red and qualifies for Inquisition.
1: Yeah. Also, you know, kind of keep Planeswalkers, Teferi, red and Six, um, you know, even the Cascade cards usually are, are landing on three, whether it's Arden's Plea or, or Shardless Agent. So you can still hit some good targets, but like you said, it, it's not as, good of a answer as it used to be which is why it hasn't seen a lot of play um, you, the other thing i noticed which i've been just seeing week after week is that force and negation sometimes it feels like that card's an afterthought these days but it's still a four of in six of the top 32 decks in this challenge and that's pretty consistent uh, so that's one of those cards that you know recently got reprinted is is near its historic lows that i've been keeping an eye on i haven't pulled the trigger on any copies yet but you know, going forward, I think they're going to be um, hesitant to reprint that one again soon. After already doing the foils in Modern Horizon, or the foil reprint in Modern Horizons two, and then the uh, more recent in Double Masters, and so might might look at that coming
0: up soon in the coming months. It's funny. I always think I play Historic uh, Esper Angel Control. And my Teferis cost four mana over on that platform. So I'm always surprised when I take a look at uh, a paper version of the card and go, Oh yeah, this thing's even more busted in paper. Mm -hmm. Definitely a top five planeswalker. Yeah. Over in fifth, Place was another Death Shadow build. This is the blue black shadow build, which we have seen before, but not for a while. I think the last time I I noted it in a top eight was maybe four to six months ago. And this is Brazen Borrower, four death shadow, three ledger shredder, a major upgrade out of Streets of New Capanna, four Merktide Regent, four Street Wraith. Two Inquisition of Kozlek, four Thoughtseize, three Archmage's Charm, four Consider, four Counterspell, three Drown in the Lock, two Fatal Push, and a Stubborn Denial with four Mishra's Bauble. So it's got elements of the old Grixis uh, shadow builds, but they managed to lean on black spells and just cut the red out entirely.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure which is better, honestly. Um, Four-time Murktide region I think is good in certain metas, less good in others. The Ledger Treader, I think, is obviously solid and gives it a little bit more reach. Uh, I do love seeing 4 times Street Wraith being played. That was one of my early uh, bad specs of the late 2000s. I <laughs> bought Uncommon's and in bulk at more than a couple bucks, and it took me years to be able to flip those for breaking even. So I love seeing Street Wraith see play again, along with the well, in- It's one of those end.
0: cards that went forever without a reprint yeah. and then caught a couple in short succession and got destroyed. Yeah, it, it just got pummeled all right so that was the modern challenge the bigger tournament of the weekend was actually the pioneer super qualifier which is a higher tier tournament that i guess gives people access to um championship series if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah it's a qualifiers to the region so it's the same as like a regional i believe tournament which then feeds into the um what all all the regional winners go to to the the pre-Pro Tour. So it used to be these type of things brought you directly
0: to the Pro Tour. Not so much anymore, unfortunately. Gotcha. So top end of this bracket is pretty straightforward. Lotus Field combo in first, Grease Fang, Vehicles, Abzan in second, Bant Spirits in third, Black Red Sacrifice in fourth, Mono Green was in seventh, and Mono White Humans was in eighth. The Easily the two most e- interesting decks here are this fifth place list, which I'm going to call Green Red Legends. You've got yep. four, four Mox Amber, four Bard Class, four Oath of Nyssa, and then three Domri Anarch of Bolas, one Domri Chaosbringer, four Xenagos the Reveler, four Bergy God of Storytelling, four Gallia of the Endless Dance, one Grumgully the Generous, one Ovia Pashiri Sage Lifecrafter, <laughs> one Rada Heart of Keld, four Targnar demon Fang Noel, and three Zergle Bellstriker, one Esca's Chariot. I'm going to go ahead and guess that if you're playing this in paper, there'd be a lot of reading going on at the table.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these, they've never seen played. If they are, it's certainly not in a uh, competitive format. It's more casual. Uh, bard class, I didn't know that existed. I mean, I, I knew in the abstract. I had seen it once or twice, but I, I couldn't have told you the card to save my life.
0: Yeah. So this is an enchantment, red and a green. Legendary creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them. And of course, you've got Grum Gully the Generous, which says each other non-human creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. So that's two between the two of them. And then if you upgrade Bard class for two mana, then... All legendary spells you cast uh, cost red, green less to cast. So it it basically uh, functions like, what's the the modern card that gives the card that the two drop for red and green that comes into play and generates red and green? Anyway, it gives you the ability to reduce cost multiple times per turn, potentially, which could be very explosive with the right draws. And the Oath of Nyssa lets you set that all up by going to get the the right stuff and put it in your hand. So this is a pretty fascinating list, not something I remember seeing anywhere else in Pioneer, and I'm very curious to see how competitive this is going forward. Certainly, Mox Amber jumps out at me as a big enabler here, and probably worth flagging that as a card that people should definitely be aiming to sell, because I will eat my shirt if that card doesn't catch a reprint in Dominaria United. That just seems inevitable. Sorry, remastered. Dominaria remastered this winter. Right.
1: Or I guess they could also see a reprint in the Brothers' War as a old border artifact.
0: Yep. Double risk there. Now, the sixth place list was equally interesting. This is a white-red mid-range list. So it has some of the white one and two drops that you see in the mono-white humans list. It's got Charming Princes and Extraction Specialists on three, Knight of the White Orchid, of Informant. Uh, But they've also got... Uh, Karn the Great Creator as a four of they've got three Elspeth Conquers Death as a five casting cost saga they've got four Fable of the Mirror Breaker and they've got four Skyclave Apparition and four Sarah Paragon tying the whole thing together very few things you can do in Pioneer that are as gross as using a Paragon to bring back Fable of the Mirror Breaker <laughs> repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Well, did you see, that there's Rafine's
1: Informant in here, the card I've bashed on the cast yeah. before. The two yeah, one, yeah. and when it enters the battlefield, it connives. My guess is that's to throw something to the yard to be able to bring back with um, Sarah Paragon yeah. or Charming or extraction specialist as well so you play that on two play extraction pestilence specialist on three bringing back whatever you pitched on two um but yeah i mean this list it, it must have worked i get it but it is it is very basic i mean these are just like straight blue hit you in the face value cards and
0: with a little bit of top end with Elizabeth El- 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 conquers death but they've they've also got this nice Karn toolbox out of the sideboard. They've got weathered Runestone. they They got a Sky Sovereign console flagship. They've got glass casket. They've got cataclysmic gear Hulk damping sphere. Yeah, God God Pharaoh, Pharaoh statue. statue
1: probably sees work. Well, it does have two Nyctos in there. So if you hit that right, I mean, there's a lot of white pips in here, and so on turn four, five, six, you know, you're actually
0: generating a pretty substantial amount of mana, I would guess. The the other thing is this is an eighty card Yorion deck.
1: Oh yeah, it so is. So
0: they so so they've got Yorion automatically in their hand. When KGC hits the board, they get to go pull a toolbox artifact. They've got all these comes into play abilities and then Fable to get double duty out of them and Sarah Paragon to do more of that work. This is this looks like a pretty fun list. Mm. If I was if I was, you know, post COVID <laughs> if post COVID lived in my heart, then I would be heading off to my F and M to try to take down a pioneer tournament with a little bit of surprise value it's
1: interesting i mean I, it makes sense a little bit but the fact that gideon allies zendikar is in the sideboard rather than any copies correct yeah any copies of the wandering emperor is new i haven't seen that in a long time but here there's a lot of creatures they're probably trying to make emblem fairly often so i, I guess it makes sense but that's that's an interesting switch um Also, Weathered Runestone, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is the two uh, colorless artifact non-permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield and you can't cast spells from your libraries or graveyards. I've seen that more and more in sideboards. Uh, Which is something that, you know, I think when it was initially spoiled, people said, "Eh, well, the C play seems like it is, especially in these card wishboard spots. But I've even seen seen it as a two or three of sometimes, depending on the meta. So that's one I'd be looking at what the foils are and might want to set those aside if if you cracked a lot of Keldheim.
0: Yep, fair enough. Moving on over to the top paper movers of the week, we've got Pyroblast Foils out of Eternal Masters continuing their march upward. They got from about 30 to 35 to 55 in recent weeks, and they're now pushing again 55 to 75, 36% gains there. I would imagine, as we discussed earlier, that there is a good chance those would show up in Dominaria Remastered as well, so very good time to be getting out of those if you're holding. We've got Reckoner Bankbuster out of Neon Dynasty showing up uh, quite a bunch in Standard lately and going from $3 to $4 as a result, just 33% gains, but you may want to pull those out of your uh, Neon Dynasty bulk and attempt to unload sometime soon. The Saw and Half Galaxy foils are sitting on player right now on pre-order around $25 and got up I think over $30 on the weekend before some uh, listings undercut but the Pro Traders got flagged over the weekend that there was copy showing up on Card Kingdom at $15, which seemed like a very good deal if you believe that the EV of that set is going to rest almost entirely on this card plus Shocklands.
1: Yeah, it seemed like at that price it was almost impossible to lose. Um, and the Galaxy foils Oils are going to be fairly rare, and this is Clearly, a card that everyone's identified as potent. I don't know if if you've watched any of the kind of you know streams about its potential combos, but you know there's a lot of them out there, right? It, it is pretty endless amount of crazy things you can do with this card, and so you know the ones the people that got in for eight, nine, ten dollars. I mean, come on, wh- where's it going to go from here? So, but I, at twenty five dollars, uh, I'd probably probably be a seller,
0: but who knows? With with nothing else in there, it could continue to go up avacyn's memorial which is a midnight hunt commander card exclusive uh, that was also found in collector booster packs i would imagine went from six to ten dollars that's probably being driven by joda edh this is a legendary artifact for eight that has indestructible and gives all your other legendary permanents you control indestructible which having played against joda multiple times in edh would be very bad news if you let it hit the table
1: yeah, not, not played against this one, so I have to
0: trust your judgment there. The thing about Joda is you need to be able to sweep away their nonsense because they cascade into like multiple legends. They end up having four per- permanents get into play on the same turn, and they're all gigantic, and they tend to have interactions with one another. And if they can then make them all indestructible then only a exile based sweeper is gonna help you like something like a farewell. Right.
1: Which are becoming yeah. more
0: prevalent, but not not that not that prevalent. I mean everybody should be running farewell if they're in white, but they still have to find it in their deck. Uh Vain Witch Coven, extended arts out of Commander 2021, 20, 250 to $5. That's probably on the back of Shieldred, and I would guess that LS Ilkor out of Dominaria United uh probably also likes this card. It's where you if you've gained a life you get to return creatures. Uh, It's also in 12,000 EDH Rec decks already, so it's been kind of an under the radar mover over the last year or so. We've got Ardent Plea out of Alara Reborn going $4 to $9. This is on the basis of being included in Crashing Footfalls decks and Moderns. That's 125% gains there. We've got Spirit of Resistance out of Invasion, both foils and non foils on the move. The non foils went 5 to 15. Uh, that's the one where if you have all five colors of mana, sorry, if you have if you control a permanent of each color, which Joda would satisfy the requirements on by himself, you prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. So, <laughs> also pretty good alongside Avacyn's Memorial. Also, the art looks like a weird dinosaur. I'm not I'm not yeah. really sure what's going on there, but it is ugly. Yeah, it's a weird one. That's a John Avon piece actually. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, uh, and then the top gainer of the week: Gonti's Ether Heart out of Ether Revolt, a largely forgotten mythic that looks like it's going to be pretty good in the rebuilt versions of the 40k Necron decks, which are black artifacts matters decks. And Gonti's Aether Heart uh, does uh, a pretty solid job in that deck because six mana to get it on the table. Whenever it or another artifact enters the battlefield, you get two energy counters, and then for eight energy counters, you take an extra turn after this one, which seems like it is going to go off in that deck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I'm pretty convinced if you buy anything that says extra turns, and that's a mythic, <laughs> and it's low, you do okay. I, I obviously You'll probably eventually do all right. But you, yeah. I mean, if Mago, Magosi the Water Veil can make me $200 in a weekend, then... Gonti's other heart can do it too. All right, so moving along to the top MTGO movers of the week, walk me through what was moving over online.
1: Sure. Well, going back to Sarah Paragon, that's the first one on our list. It went from six tickets to almost ten, uh, for pretty solid gains. And you know, here it's really being played in those mono white lists and Pioneer, which is driving this. And this is what I, I think will probably con- continue to see on this list. Anything that sees significant play in Pioneer is generally getting pretty expensive. It's a driver. Of the format right now, or prices on Magic Online, so we'll see more of that going forward. Another one is sika's Chariot, also pioneer action, particularly in the Grease Fang builds, went from three to five for about a 60% gain. Uh, Hidetsu consumes all from Neo, moved from 550 to 950. I didn't see any decks that were really breaking out from this, um, but I might have missed something. But, uh, you know, this comes and goes whenever the low-slung decks are doing well. They can bring, uh, you know, decks can bring this in and and do pretty well. And because it's a Mythic, the price sensitivity is much higher than others. Uh, And finally, Wedding Announcement, which we've seen on this list before, went from... Four ticks roughly to nine for a over 100% gain. And this is, again, back on the back of Pioneer, which has really been driving the prices right now, particularly for this mono
0: white deck that's been doing pretty well. Sounds good to me. Moving on over to cards to watch. We'll quickly throw through this so we can get to our absolute bevy of weekly topics. I got some obvious ones for folks. How about Solitude? From Modern Heisens 2, 6 6- to 12 month timeline, give it a 9 rating out of 10. Currently at $40, which sounds like a very high buy-in price for almost anything. Hard hard to think of how often we recommend a $40 mythic as a spec. But this thing gets played a lot. It's a top 30 modern card, often played as a 3 or a 4 of. It's in 12,000 EDH rec decks, which is just modest after a year compared to other uh, Modern Horizons 2 cards. But it also sells 10 copies a day on TCG Player in regular form. And we are down to 94 listings. Modern Horizons 2 cracking is basically over. And there are no major walls surrounding this card. And there's a relatively steep ramp forming up through the high 40s, which leads me to believe that given 6 to 12 months without a reprint, this is going to be a $60 card, not a $40 card.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's true. I think the price points are probably correct. Um, 40 to 60 isn't enough to, I mean, it's enough to spec on, but maybe not worth your time. But absolutely for personal copies, you know, this is something that I probably want to be buying at a minimum before December, uh but you know i think right now is a good good as time as any uh when you look back at modern horizons one i remember leading into this december before prices started going up everyone was like oh it's everywhere still it's been a year and a half you know you can get these things for so cheap i was buying the lands for example and they were just so cheap and then you know you turn the corner it comes up on two years the stock starts drying up and these things just start moving and it's hard to believe that it's been what, uh, 15, 16 months months. since Modern Horizons 2, and by December it'll be a year and a half. I mean, we're we're getting towards the end of that lifespan where things are going to start drying up, mass crackers are going to start having harder time getting product in the next nine months or so, and these things are going to start moving. It's just a
0: matter of time, not if. Yeah, and one of the things that's got me interested in this and the other card is the Borderless version of Solitude is $60, and has been a, on a kind of a steady uphill trend. Its foils for the foil borderless are 125 so the appetite for premium versions of this card is high. And I may as well segue from there into the second card, which is borderless, not regular version of Fury. I think this is, if anything, even a better play, because if Solitude at relatively minimal EDH, like medium EDH play, and as a top 30 modern card can support a $60 price point on its borderless, then Fury, which used to be considered a worthless incarnation, and then people realize actually this might be the best incarnation in modern, it has now worked its way up from the point where my original call on this card was July 2021, so early on in its printing, and I said it would go 25 to 50. Well, it's already made it to 35. And now at 35, it's got to be too low compared to Solitude Borderless, which we just said is 60, given that you can get these Fury Borderless uh, at under 35. And there's only 43 listings left of these. There are no major walls. And I just don't see how, with it being the sixth most played card in the format, and also catching some legacy play, how these Borderless Furies are not going to go 35 to 60. I sold three of them the other day, and immediately looked at the sale and went, you know what, I think I'm early on that. Yeah, the
1: Borderless, I've been surprised that non-foil Borderless can command a premium, but they've been able to show that they are able to, particularly for these staple type of cards, and I think when they came out Everyone said, well, what's the point of the Borderless non-foil? If you want, you know, the classy version, you get the Borderless foil. If you want the basic, you go basic. But I think Borderless is really going to start carrying premiums on these things, and we've seen that in some of the other cards in the past. Uh, and, you know, Fury is the number one card played in Modern, period, end of story, for a creature, I should say, uh, played in 28% of decks. It's played a lot in Legacy uh edh yeah it doesn't probably do a lot there and the, the numbers reflect 4,
0: that. 4500 edh rec for fury which is not not a lot. yeah
1: but i think that's fine and you know it's a nothing is gonna do what fury or solitude does better in the short term long term i mean we've seen power creep be crazy but you know the next couple of years they're not printing anything better than this it's a free card that is a, a very reasonable based creature that can wipe your you know opponent's board uh, in the right shells and it, nothing will do that better than Fury for a very long time so it's not going anywhere it's just a matter of whether the supply is going to grow you know the CBs for Modern Horizons 2 are already at close to 400 so it's not like people are, are cracking these are borderless in the set boosters I would imagine maybe I, I have a hard time keeping a tab I have to go back and double check that, but I believe they are, but at a very low drop. Yeah, rate. so maybe a little bit more supply here and there. But again, you know, another six, eight months, they're, the dry, they'll start drying up
0: and these things will continue to be pressured. I would say the, the major risk here is potential for a ban. There is whispers that, you know, Solitude and Fury are too good for the format. Um There's also some reprint risk, although there's no product so far on the agenda for 2023 that looks likely to have a fury in it um that doesn't mean nothing will come up i mean we didn't when they made all the product announcements a year ago going into 2022 they didn't tell us about uh the 30th edition for instance so there is the there there is room for surprise releases for ancillary products along the way and you know, if they keep doing these premium secret layers as they seem to be interested in in promoting, then you know more and more expensive cards could potentially start showing up in them. Yeah, secret layers, of course, is they knew these would be good. They
1: the, the testers have even said so uh, that worked on this. The pros that worked on Modern Horizons too. So it's no surprise that these are great cards that they're seeing a lot of play. And uh, so it's definitely a risk. I would hope. That if they reprinted it in the two-year mark or so, that they follow the similar path as Modern Horizons, uh, one reprints, which is doing it in kind of smaller numbers in foil only, uh, which would then, you know, since these are both non-foil, it would give them, uh, it wouldn't affect their price as much. If anything, it might help the price because and that's what we saw with the other versions that you know they only printed foils that the non-foils kind of got a notch up because they everyone knew that if they wanted a non-foil copy they just had to buy it now all righty so tell me about your selections this week all right so start off first one is wheel of Misfortune. So this is the commander legends original commander legends foil extended art uh, which is currently about 1750 uh, pretty broadly available at that price point and i'm targeting it to get up to about 35 dollars. Uh, and here it's just made basically based on the numbers the fact that it's in fifty four thousand decks it's one of the top commander legend cards behind the the ultimate staples that we all know like opposition agent and the lands and some of the others like that uh but it is a fun effect but it's also worded in a way that was very kind of confusing and you know i i think in a way that didn't It didn't jump out to Watsi in my opinion, probably that this is gonna be a hit card, that it's gonna see a lot of play, and that it would need to be ultimately reprinted very quickly particularly in any premium way. And so my guess is that slowly over time, these will just drift up. Um, looking at the sales history, it's not, you know, selling at any crazy clip. It's selling about 14 copies or so a month, which is, you know, one every other day, which isn't a ton, but there's only about 30 near Mint, uh foil listings with no real walls. And so, yeah, I think, again, just because it's seen a lot of play, it's a wheel effect and a fun kind of party type of wheel effect I, I think slowly it'll get there, but this is something I'd only want a couple copies, you know, put them, put them away for 18 months is what I have here, give or take six months, and bring them out later, and hopefully, you know, they'll be double
0: the price and you can exit. To me, this looks like a slow, steady growth card in its most premium version, whose primary risk is secret layer, and otherwise I have no notes. It sees lots of UDH play. It's a very good wheel. Also does t- some damage to the table often and yeah moon right along what's your final pick? So final pick and this one I feel pretty confident about and, and I'll be honest it's based
1: on a pick that you made previously that worked out pretty well for me uh, which is Miss, Rist, M- mystic Ramora the foil secret layer uh, borderless edition that just got released recently and for most secret layers you know I would tend to wait a long time uh, but here it, is what I think is very comparable to Carpet of Flowers, which was uh, they're both first edition foils. They both have tremendous EDH uh, demand here for Mystic Remora. It has a hundred and forty-five thousand EDH rec decks, which is just amazing. It is a huge number, especially to have something be the first time foil. And so I think these are going to—they've uh, already collapsed a little bit from their initial starting point. Right now, you can pick up copies for uh i put 33 dollars on here so there was a, a pretty sizable wall at 33 just yesterday somebody bought 39 copies so they must add the clearly the same idea i did which bumped up the price to about 35 roughly uh, but i think you just kind of watch for new walls getting put up at lower prices try to get in around 33 dollars. but if it was 35 no big deal because i think the exit point on this is about 60 bucks which is where carpeted flowers the secret layer foil is right now and that was only about 10 months after i think you picked it on the cast and so i think these will follow similar or trajectories if anything uh the mystic remora art is a lot better than the carpet of flowers art it is just gorgeous and so yeah i think that doesn't hurt as well uh and so i don't think there's time to wait on this I think you
0: get in now you wait about a year and you should be able to exit for a quick double up i have a feeling that you're going to get out on this in six months this is in 147,000 edh rec decks and really any blue deck that's not running it is probably just overlooking the card um it does work every time it sees play early in the game it is on that same tier with esper sentinel Rhystic study smothering tithe where their auto includes in their colors they always do what they you expect them to do for the most part and no one ever wants to pay that tax so you keep it for two three turns draw a few cards and then let it go and then in some decks you can start recursing it and, and put it into play again later um but yeah i mean this the kellogg's loop art is excellent there Aren't that many of these sitting around? We're at 20 listings for near mint foils, so yeah, you get you get in while well, the getting is good under 40 and look for it to end up being a 50, 60, 70 magic card. This is the type of card I wonder how it got by for so long without a reprint.
1: Yeah, I, I, Ice Age was 95, so it lasted 27 years <laughs> without a reprint, I, I and it stayed cheap enough. I mean, up until recently. It was pretty affordable. Even just a couple years ago, it was a couple bucks. I remember buying them at that point. Now the basic version from Ice Age is around ten, roughly. Um, And you know, I think the Secret Layer non foils. I'll be curious to see where the price lands on those because again, I think the art is just so much better. The original uh, Mystic Remora art is a weird fish. Why I don't know. Uh, And so I think just from straight art and supply standpoint that the the non-foil might do well too um and if anyone read my articles on mtgprice.com you would have been getting in on these secret layers for uh here in the foil version about 42 dollars with tax uh, which is you know not much more than you're paying for just a single card Uh, and you would also gotten other things in there too so the the original play was to buy the sealed but that time has come and gone and so now
0: pick these up and i think you'll do just fine all right, let's move on over to the juiciest part of the week. Oof, weekly topics. Let me tell you, I've had a busy day on Twitter this afternoon. Um, Wizards went ahead, ran a stream very early for them. Felt like they did it before work, like they were up at 6, 6, p.m., 6 a.m. PST on Twitch or something. And they dropped this mega bomb. Probably the biggest product announcement, you know, arguably of the last 10 years. And the product is called 30th Anniversary Edition, and it will be on sale as of November 28th for $999 at the website 30thedition.wizards.com. Now, a few different times over the last few years, Travis and I discussed the the circumstances by which Wizards might challenge the reserved list. And we had said that there were a couple of different scenarios. One would be that they would reprint cards in some kind of collectible capacity that did not directly challenge uh, printing tournament playable versions of the Power Nine, etc. Another one of the concepts that I tabled was that they could print alternatives to those cards. Instead of trying to reprint them, they could just do, uh, you know, uh, Eternal Horizons as it opposed to Eternal Masters, and print a bunch of direct-to-legacy and vintage cards uh, at the same power level as the Power Nine, and basically kickstart a whole nother wave of FOMO over, you know, whatever the newest, hottest things are. And we've seen that that is very possible to do because, it, at least in the EDH sphere, where they launched Jeweled Lotus, and the best version of that is 1000 bucks in a very, very short time frame. So, I was not particularly surprised to see this $1,000 product for the 30th anniversary. I was a little surprised (laughs) to see that it included effective reprints of most of beta. They cut six cards, problematic cards, and anti-cards. Crusades and Earthbind was taken out for being too SM oriented um, or depicting sexual restraint, I suppose. But pretty much everything else is in there, including all the power nine, all the dual lands, and everything you would expect. And these are coming in $1,000 boxes that have $250 booster packs, four of those in the box. Each pack contains 15 cards. 13 cards are in a modern frame, so you're getting beta cards for the first time in many cases in a modern frame. So that's Uh, modern frame duels that's modern frame moxes the three blue cards time twister time walk and uh, uh, ancestral recall as well as black lotus Uh, you're getting your wheel of fortune uh, and all sorts of other goodies now you're also getting uh, in these packs those 13 cards in the modern frame, which will include 1 rare, 3 uncommons, and 7 commons, which is the normal ratio between those rarities. There are no mythics because they're keeping the rarity original rarities. You're getting two basic lands, and one, plus and one basic land in the retro frame, and one additional retro frame card and a token. Now, in the uh, rare slot, they have doubled the drop rate for the dual lands. Which leads me to believe that they fully expect to gather some interest from casual EDH players that are playing with their local pods or playing online with people that are not at all going to blink if somebody tables a proxy or a gold-bordered card or a silver-border card or something like this where it's an office- expensive official Wizards product that isn't officially sanctioned because blah, 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 the reserve list, but is still a very good-looking official... Wizards card. Um, then in the retro slot, they've boosted the rarity of rares. So instead of having you know a one in eleven chance of a car a non-basic land being a rare, it's a thirty percent chance of it being a rare to boost your access in in the retro frame slot to things like the Power Nine, the duels, uh, etc. Now, all of, what all of that breaks down to is if you get a $1,000 box, you're going to have something like a, not a hundred percent, but like mid to high 90s percent chance of pulling one of the duels or the power nine in a modern frame. And then I think it's something like a 7% chance of pulling one of those in retro frame because... There are 123 total rare options including the double up dual lands. So and there are is a 30% chance of getting a rare in the retro slot. So that should equal out to about a 7% chance of pulling say black lotus in a retro frame. So you buy a thousand dollar box, you're probably going to get at least one power nine or a dual land in a modern frame, you're going to get out of you know 10 packs you're going to get one of them in a retro frame more like 12 packs i suppose and boy did social media go haywire on this announcement oh yeah oh yeah they did (laughs) which is not surprising in the least but (laughs) so maybe we can break down a couple of the the various common takes from various constituencies in the magic community and address their concerns and talk them through. Probably the first one would be people who currently are holding, you know, alpha beta unlimited collector's edition and international collector's edition versions of these cards. Should the question about any kind of a reprint on this stuff has always been theoretical up until now. And it was always about, you know, would it damage them? And most of the most, the more intelligent vendor uh, staff that I've ever talked to or seen espouse opinions on the matter have all said more or less the same thing, which is that they welcome that situation, the situation we're facing here with, with open arms, because a very common take I saw from, you know, buyers for vendors today was, yeah, whatever, man, I can't wait to put this buy list together because people (laughs) need to understand that from their perspective I mean, they're not worried about moving their unlimited mocks. That market's not going anywhere, given how this product has been pulled together. Because when you have a $1,000 price point versus, say, if it had been a $100 price point, the threat to these, in theory, superior versions of the cards, the original print runs from the first few years, is much lower. You know, like, I'm not rushing to sell my beta duels today. (laughs) at all right if anything all of this attention on this and the the potential um pushback from the community as to these not being from the segment of them that think these are bullshit they're just proxies which we'll get to in a second i mean if that pushes those people to buy the original versions more cool (laughs) like if they're going to be running around thinking they're going to be snapping off deals by all means let them let them you know set that market I do think duels, so, I mean,
1: there's a big divide, I think, for a lot of this product between what is playable versus what is not. And Power 9, I generally view as completely not playable. I don't see a lot of people putting that casually into their EDH deck, even if it's a collector's edition version or something like that. Whereas duels are played, Right. Oh yeah. It, and so I, I think of this. I think of the divide is, um, will this help pressure duels? I think is a, I think different answer than will this pressure original Power Nine non collectors edition. Uh, yeah. So be- for
0: for the Power Nine, the the consensus seems to be that most of the pressure is on collectors edition and international collectors edition, which was between the two of them twenty five thousand square cornered sets that were gold border uh uh backs that were printed back in like I think it was I have to double check my dating on this but somewhere between 1997 and 2001 if I'm not mistaken and people said I remember distinctly being in 401 games in Toronto at their old location way back in the 90s or late 90s, whenever these that came out. And I remember all the same conversations being had before internet social media was even a thing about how these are just proxies and they're not going to be worth anything. And they were like $50 a box, I think, to start with. And retailers were trying to get 100 for them. And people said, ah, that's a ripoff. Don't waste your money on that. And for years, those sat on shelves and vendors couldn't move them easily. And then slowly over time started to generate demand for that old collectible with a low print run, which ended up being the cheapest version of a lot of these cards you could get your hands on. And fast forward to today, and that full set is worth mid twenty thousands, twenty four twenty five thousand dollars cash, and the Lotus itself is worth four grand. Right, but I
1: mean, the, and again, these are all different kind of perspectives because i don't think there's a right one right but yeah i think the argument can be made well the reason that they got up to 20 grand is because they thought this would never happen again right that wizards is on record stating unequivocally in in the blogs and other places that they would never reprint in gold border with a normal sized card period and stop and now they've done that You know, I think the question is, okay for the the beta Black Lotus or even the unlimited Black Lotus, I don't think anyone's going to argue that this really does much to that. But to the collector's edition type of things, you know, what's
0: to stop wizards from doing this for the 40th anniversary and the 50th? And well, and nothing. And it could be as soon as the 35th. Right. Right. I think a couple of important lines were drawn in the sand here. Because for anybody who ever thought that they would just go ahead and print a, you know, beta remastered and that they would sell these boxes for, say, $200 with Black Lotuses in them, that has been waived off here. Oh, yeah. 100%. Wiz- Wizards is clearly reinforcing the idea that I had put on the table over and over again over the years, which is that there is unobtainium in the collectible world is invaluable to your brand. The idea that there is some collectible in the pantheon of your original releases that everybody wants but few can afford or find, that few even get to look upon or hold, is worth its weight in not just gold but mithril, if you will, to, in the sense that it generates so much goodwill to the brand, uh, free uh, press, where you get all these articles about, oh wow, Black Lotus sold at auction for $100,000 and tens of thousands of people that may not have encountered your brand otherwise hear about it and are reminded of it and may one day say yes when their friend asks them to sit down and try the game. And all of this has proven again and again to be extremely valuable. I mean, the sports card industry arguably reinvigorated itself out of ashes, like had almost burnt its house to the ground. Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and has found a new and vibrant life in these extremely high-end releases that are basically lottery tickets. And that is exactly what Wizards is leaning into here. And I, and I think it's going to be successful. I mean, just to give you one data point,
1: VIP boosters came out, right, for $100. We, I mean, we talked about them a lot when it happened. And everyone was, oh, it's a $100 booster. It's never worth it, this and that obviously those have aged very well in a few short years and now are 100 and what $70 for one of those yep. packs. And so that's only 57 whatever I'm bad at math $80 shy of this price point for something that is nowhere near equivalent for a single the thing, pack. The obviously.
0: thing the thing about these are like they're $250 a booster pack whereas the uh collector boosters for boxes for Double Masters 2022 was four packs for about two fifty. So it's four times more expensive. Now is what you can pull out of there going to be worth it? A lot of the magic community is just baffled today. They don't understand how wizards can put out quote unquote proxies and charge a thousand dollars. And the two major points that they're missing is A, you have to define what a proxy is. And I'll get to that in a second. And and B, there's a massive difference between an official proxy with the released by the core company with licensed art and whatever it is you got from somewhere else. So I think first thing to do is to just take a pit stop at that word proxy, because I've seen it thrown around all over the place today, because I came out with a, a st- uh, incendiary statement on Twitter saying, these are not proxies. These are EDH cards. And what I was, what I meant specifically was that with the double drop rate on the dual lands, they are specifically, they are implying a, a nod to the the EDH community playing outside of the LGS, playing outside of a command zone section of a major GP-like event. To all the people that have been playing webcam EDH during COVID or have pulled together play groups as they've grown ...older and have turned to a more private version of Magic. This is all a nod to them, saying you can get a brand spanking new... ...straight out of the pack, dual land, throw in your favorite deck. If anybody gives you shit about it, it's an official product. Yeah, we said that they're not for sanctioned play, but you're playing at your kitchen table... ...so there's really no reason for anybody to say no to you... ...given that the primary reason to reject a proxy in person... Is if a the proxy is a direct replica of an official Wizards card, so you've not you you didn't buy a proxy, you bought a counterfeit that is meant to deceive. Right. If someone is supporting counterfeiters, then obviously you have reason to tell them to, you know, you, that you're not comfortable with that at your table. But if somebody draws on a piece of paper, as we do all the time in the pro trader uh, EDH games on webcam, because frequently we are testing decks that haven't come out yet or commanders that haven't come out yet or cards that haven't come out yet that nobody has. And so, yeah, we're writing on a piece of paper, putting it in a sleeve and we're playing because we're doing testing. But even if somebody you know comes to one of our games and just puts a piece of paper on the table and says, this is my commander. I don't own them yet. Given the fact that the average pro trader spends thousands to tens of thousands a year on magic, Nobody is calling them, you know, calling bullshit on them tabling a couple proxies here and there. With the, with the size of the collections, the amount of money people have given to Wizards in support of the brand. The you're not supporting the brand argument really is pretty, you know, it's a shaky pillar that's easy to knock out. And I also have never had any issue with people in the comfort of their own home printing whatever they want on paper. If you want to print all your magic cards on your printer and and just shuffle up slips of paper, go for it, dude. Like they don't own the mind space right down to your fingertips. They have a right to control what happens in a sanctioned environment because that's their strategic retail partners at your LGS, that's their major events they're running, and it just makes sense that when they they're trying to sell you this product, they want you to play with the official thing. That's just common sense, right? But yeah, of course you can print out whatever you want for the power nine or whatever for dual lands and table that, and nobody should really care. So I think people are going to be surprised. There actually is going to be a market, especially for the dual lands, especially in EDH. I have very little doubt that those are going to get widely played and tabled and the acceptance of them in that community will grow and grow. And people will just have to remember to take them out before they go to Vegas or whatever and make sure that their decks are ship legal in those circumstances. It's also worth pointing out that of the Power 9, the only card that's legal in EDH is Time Twister, right? You, you can't play Time Walk, you can't play Ancestral, you can't play Lotus or any of the Moxes. So none of those have EDH implications. So what's the market for those? Well, the argument is that it's a collectible. It's a magic 30th anniversary collectible that will be a limited print run so far I'm you know we don't have a lot of information on this yet but I would guess based on retail pricing theory and modeling and and what we've seen Wizards do in the past and what tends to happen in this space that they're probably printing somewhere between 10,000 and 50,000 units of this product and I would guess if I was to tighten that I'd say it's between 20 and 30,000. If they're really being cheeky about it it's exactly 30,000 cuz it's the 30th anniversary.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: That's a very reasonable number, and when you look at that and you do the math, that's not all that many copies of the the cards in question getting into the market compared to the twenty five thousand copies that exist from CE and ICE from all those years back. Yeah, which it came out. I did look it up after we're talking about it. It Came out in uh,
1: collector's edition. Came out in nineteen ninety three, which surprised me. I thought it was a little bit later than that. Um, and there was approximately 9,000 of the original collector's edition printed, and that was followed up by the international edition, which apparently had about 5,000 printed. This is coming off of my quick Google search, so don't hate me if this is completely wrong, but uh, just to give you some context there. Did you
0: say it was 10,000 and 5,000? Uh, 9,000 and 5,000, yep. Huh, I, th- I thought it was 15,000 and 10,000, but I could easily be wrong there. So yeah, I mean, the the total number of quote-unquote proxied Black Lotuses entering the market here is not going to be tremendous. There's also no foils in these packs. They, they didn't take the extra step and make things extra ridiculous because I think they, they probably sensed that the frustration level with creating a strictly superior Lotus, which I think is what a foil Lotus may have been perceived as, would be a little much. They're they're saving those for serial numbers, (laughs) yeah. Or yeah, they're gonna they're gonna hold that for the 35th anniversary or whatever. I think that. So I think proxies. I want to get back to that word. You can have a counterfeit. You can have a third party proxy made by somebody like Proxy Guy, where he licenses or sources open source art, puts it on, prints it out on his special printer, and ships it off to his Patreon members or whatever. I'm fine with that. I don't really... I don't care about that one way or the other. Um, As long as the the art licensing is handled correctly, no big deal. Um, But for people to equate counterfeits or proxy guy proxies to these things is just way off base. Like, the average player is not going to view a Wizards-produced Lotus as being the same as a piece of paper off their printer. No matter what they tell me on Twitter. Like, it if that person is holding that Lotus out of the collect- the 30th edition, are they going to sell it to me for
1: $5?
0: Right. I, I think that's where it comes no. back
1: to for me. Is, is, is it worth something? And what does the market put as a price to it? Because you can have the nicest proxy on the planet, but oftentimes they're going to be worth not much more than the cardboard on them. But you put that in contrast. I mean, you can have proxies that are done by alt artists you know on top of maybe a real magic card that looks amazing and it increases the value so i think it's less about to me where is it coming from and more about what what type of value does the market put on it and obviously a lot of that value comes from who made it but not exclusively
0: and so this is where things get interesting because i think it's pretty easy to assert with any any amount of intellectual rigor that these are not worthless is it a cash grab? Oh, yeah, 100% it's a cash grab. But everything Wizards does to us is a cash grab. So, I mean, if you aren't comfortable with that, you should just exit the hobby. It's never going to change. It's only going to get worse. The The real question is, are we getting reasonable value compared to our other options? And this price point, you know, a, a good point was made by, I think, it was Michael Caffrey out of Tales of Adventure was the first person I saw mention it, that The relationship between how much product of this you would have to open based on the math that they expressed to us versus the price of a collector's edition or international collector's edition set of square cornered beta. And they're almost the same. You need to open... In like probably twenty to twenty-three thousand dollars worth of this product to get a full set, and that's what those sets cost on the market. So my guess is that a financial analyst inside, a product analyst inside uh, Watsi was tasked with trying to figure out what they could get for this, and then coordinated with the product design team to figure out how they would structure it so that it would all, all the math would work out. And they modeled it very closely against those alternatives, and so I think where they, what they came up with is our floor here should be inferior non-sanctioned cards, the, the square bordered, the square cornered C E and I C E that don't have uh, that aren't as normal looking as these will be. Now the thing about that is. If you have a $1,000 booster pack and you have those percentages that I mentioned earlier where you have like almost like a 90% plus chance to pull something good in your regular slot and then a 7% chance to pull something really good in the retro slot per pack. Um, So like 28% across a $1,000 box. So you're like a one in three to get a power nine in the retro. Uh, Something like that. My guess is the EV of these packs is going to settle somewhere between five fifty and six hundred on the thousand dollar pack.
1: Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, even on a regular set booster, EV is usually on the good ones, not on, on standard sets, but on like Modern Horizons and things like that. EVs closest to like eighty five percent. I expect it to be below that, so that sounds about right. Sixty.
0: 65 yeah i'm thinking like 55 to 65 percent is my like some assum- assumed range without additional detail yeah but boy are there going to be some blowouts like there, there's no way to avoid facing the fact that these are lottery tickets yeah in and not only that they are the potentially most exploitative lottery tickets wizards has ever issued wow That's a whole, a whole nother discussion, (laughs) but (laughs) I mean, again, these are
1: whatever proxies, however you want to define it, pieces of paper. No one's being forced to buy these.
0: Like I, so I I think I would have run this. I would have, like people think I've been defending this product all day on Twitter. Far from it. I've been discussing the product and trying to address what I think are some very ill-informed or not well thought out discussion points on the, on the product. But I don't think this is a perfect product. I think it does clearly, based on the response from the the player base, um, rub people the wrong way. Both because it's very expensive, and so they feel left out, and also because it's not officially sanctioned, so they feel like the cards aren't don't have the same utility as they would have expected in the circumstance where they made them available. Lots of people calling for them to just you know just just print black lotuses and let everybody have one, so we can play with them. And it's like. <laughs> There's no way that was ever going to happen. Like, this was always going to be about converting unobtainium at some high exchange rate. Yeah. But, but the, I don't think it's all that smart to reprint all of beta, given that a big chunk of that power nine is not EDH playable, and a big chunk of the rares, like your chaos lace and your pure lace and nonsense like that, is just such a feel bad to open. I think the way I think the way I would have tackled this product is more like the VIP packs for Double Masters, where it take all those cool cards that they're giving away as promos all year for the 30th anniversary, and I would have done a a, a bunch of cards from the history of magic in a subset. So you're getting cool stuff out of this no matter what. And then the power nine and the duels are layered on top of that. And then you still charge them a thousand dollars for the packs. You have the same drop rates that they've already expressed here for uh, the duels and the Power Nine, but the the, da- the low side of your your EV output is corrected to prevent extremely negative social media during the first couple of weeks of that release when people get their hands on this product and start posting youtube videos where they're just so angry <laughs> that they opened a chaos Lace.
1: the inventions back in the day which feels like it should it wasn't that long ago but i, I guess it was now i mean they they were essentially similar to this the original inventions so they were really hard to pull i mean i i I could have seen them doing something even more hard to pull than that and having it even spread out over multiple products, kind of like the in search for Dominar United and having it be a success. That said, I, I don't really have a problem with the way that this has been rolled out, and I, I'd probably catch a lot of flack for that, but you're talking about getting a Black Lotus in a pack for the first time in 30 years. For, uh, uh, every, almost everyone's lifespan. Because for most players, they never had access, ever, right? They started playing too late. Even if they've been playing for 20 years, they still started too late to actually be able to buy a pack and open it generically. And so this is a momentous occasion. I I mean, whether, regardless of whether you like or dislike that they're breaking reserve lists in a sense, it is, it is a big deal. And so they are making it, I think, what it needs to be, which is a product that will be looked at, I think in 10 years and say, wow, that was, that was something right. I remember that. I remember when that came out and I remember, you know, either opening a pack or watching my friend open a pack or see something get opened at a store and it it would make an impact on you. And yeah, you could do that in other products and this and that, but it is, it, I think one of the lessons that it's learning is that, you know, you should be focused sometimes and obviously, there's a, a so many other products coming out right now. I mean, we we have a huge list that we haven't even gotten to, and there's a reason for that. Is because they they did a the product that people want to talk about for better or for worse, and they are putting products in there at a price point that I think they're going to reach, and it's going to produce some feel bads. Yes, but for those that are willing to spend the money, it's going to create a memorable experience, and that's what. I think a lot of people are going for. I mean, the reason people like gambling isn't because the end result, because the end result is usually losing. It's about the experience. And this is a product made to be an experience solely focused on this momentous occasion. So I'm okay with it. Honestly, you know, again, it's, these are magic cards. These aren't even tournament legal. So no one can claim that they have to buy this product and yeah, we say it's not, maybe it's not for you a lot on a lot of products, but this one, it is made for whales. It is made for people that are willing to
0: spend the money to get something they don't need. And I think that's okay, personally. Well, and there's a lot of people that, that said, like, this is such a letdown for the 30th anniversary, but they're missing that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, the oh, 30th yeah. anniversary is a year-long thing. It includes a bunch of different promotions, some of which were announced today, there's all those promos that are going out through the LGSs that are super cool that allow people to participate there and arguably are much more playable <laughs> than a lot of what you can pull out of these packs. Because um, funny thing about Black Lotus, I op- I owned one for four years. It never left its case. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't like pull together my vintage deck and march off to play somewhere. Most people that own that that shit don't play it.
1: Yep, mine's in my safety deposit box. <laughs> exactly. So
0: I mean, the the idea that the utility, the sanctioned utility is the only thing that lends value to the card is absolutely incorrect. This is and a lot of people miss this, a collectible hobby. A big part of why magic didn't collapse during COVID when nobody could go play anywhere was because this hobby is fun by yourself. It has both a solitaire and in-person mode. Big, I have wh-
1: yeah, I at that point I have 5 EDH decks that I've never played.
0: There you go. <laughs> and, and I went from three EDH decks to 14 during COVID and only started webcamming halfway through that. So, and it's fun. One of the reasons EDH is such a big deal, basically the biggest format in the game now, is because it encourages uh, long-term collecting and investing. Your decks tend to get be worth more over time if you get good versions of, of key cards. There's a lot of replay value in reformulating all the cards you own into new decks. There is always something new and interesting to build because they give us 50, 60, 100 commanders a year now. And I have a lot of trouble believing I'm not going to see 30th edition duels tabled in front of me multiple times this year. Now, one of the other... Points that I think is worth addressing, though, is people saying, okay, cool, these are fine, but why not? Why wouldn't I just buy a revised duel that's a- actually tableable anywhere? I can take it to Legacy, Vintage, Old School, EDH, Cube, whatever, and nobody's going to sneer at it because it's the real deal. And that will, it is reasonable analysis to table because it is possible that the EV on these cards of these packs will end up low enough that in some cases that might actually make sense. However, it's also possible that the extremely high buy-in on these packs keeps the singles prices higher than I'm expecting. And that the math works out such that revised duels are not necessarily cheaper, or you end up having a choice between pristine, potentially gradable brand new black border underground C, versus HP white bordered underground sea. And the brand new one looks a lot better in sleeve and no one can see the back. So as long as your play group is cool with you tabling it, it's a aesthetically better in your deck.
1: So my thought going into this after kind of looking at odds and things like that, is that the reason duels are important is it's a consolidate consolation prize and that basically, if you want to profit and, you know, roll the dice and do well, you have to hit Power 9. And if you hit the duels or some of the other, I mean, there are other cards in the set like Demonic Tutor, Wheel of Fortune, Mana Vault, some others that will have some value. Great. It, get, it makes it so it's not a feel bad. You're getting back some of your value, but you'll still probably lose money. And then, obviously, you can just get completely blown out as well. But that was always my thought after looking this today was that it's a power niner bust everything else is a con- consolation prize and you know i i, I mean the duels if a underground c normal version under you know a light play revises i don't even know i haven't looked but like 650 700 right now probably off on that uh i would guess the other for the the 30th edition version would be hmm, 350 400 That would be my
0: assumption. Probably like 50% of what the revised is. It's certainly going to be interesting to watch this play out. Because if the market... uh, If the vendors swarm the product, as I expect they will, and the players shun the product, then you have tons of product opened up front. Vendors can't unload it. There's no market forming around it. The prices are dropping to the floor. They start cracking and trying to sell the singles. The singles collapse... And you end up with like $100 30th edition Underground Seas. In which case they get more and more attempting for EDH play. Another scenario is the product is shunned entirely. Vendors decide that it's toxic and and keep their hands off. I don't actually think that's even remotely possible to happen. This is an opportunity they've all been waiting for. At minimum, they're looking to uh, form buy lists for this stuff and traffic in it because they they believe there's going to be demand for these cards and but if in the in the outside chance nobody buys the product let me tell you what's going to happen there everybody will make fun of it it will be super cheap for a while just like the VIP cards were out of Double Masters 1 and then 6 to 12 months later surprise enough trickling demand is starting to drain that minimal supply out of the market and the prices will start to rise sharply yeah yeah yeah, I, uh, either of those two scenarios are
1: possible. My bet, I'd be curious of your take, is that it's going to go on sale. It's going to sell out very quickly. Yeah. It's going to FOMO hype, and then it's going to crash,
0: and then it's going to slowly go up over time. That that's exactly cool what process. I said on Twitter today. That's exactly the model I'm expecting, is that it will sell out, contrary to all the people that think nobody wants this. The... And the funny thing is that people kept saying, oh yeah, but it's just gonna be a bunch of MTG Finance bros circle jerking jerking each other. It's like no, that's not how it works. Vendors can't sell to each other. Like, <laughs> you you can you can make the greater fool theory argument that we're gonna to sell to a FOMO collector that missed out or forgot to purchase or whatever, but God kind of finding it hard to believe that most of those people that are mo- that are interested in the $1000 product aren't aware of the $1000 product. Now, there are guys like my dad where if I didn't tell him about this, he would probably miss it completely and then end up paying secondary market price afterwards. So I su- I I suspect sells out quick. Might, there might even be bots involved, depending on who they're like, how the platform handles the sale and how many units can be sold per household. That's one of the big unknowns, right? We don't know if it's going to be limited one to household or one to addresses. Four per household, 10 per household. Are they going to do it like a secret layer and let people order a ton of them? I'm guessing not. I, I would guess that it'll be one, two, or four per household. And it will sell out. I'm guessing that there are... 20 to 40,000 units produced, that that does not add a tremendous amount of Retroframe Power 9 or Duels into the market. And the market will FOMO those up to a very high price very quickly. And then, as you said, prices are going to drift down and then slowly over time get nibbled away by collectors and the occasional EDH pod that is willing to support it. Now, we should probably flag some of the cards that are that are most likely to be of interest to people. As I said, Power Nine, the only one that really is relevant for EDH is Time Twister. So that would be of all of those. And b- between the Lotus and the Moxes, I think Lotus and Time Twister probably catch my interest the most. And then things that are super EDH staples. You mentioned Mana Vault, uh, Soul Ring. Uh, apparently, they're printing Soul Ring at Common and Uncommon. And one of the versions has a zoomed-in version of the original Soul Ring art for reasons unknown, uh, which seemed very odd to me. Demonic Tutor obviously is a a mega staple. Swords to Plowshares, Lightning Bolt.
1: We're getting the
0: Red Elemental and Blue Elemental Blast,
1: which is sort of a reprint of some of the things we've discussed.
0: Yeah, true. So I would guess, like, some total, there's going to be something like 15 to 20 cards that CNF EDH play for a market to form around them. Stuff like Granite Gargoyle, that's just going to be absolute, like, worthlessness. Yeah. The only people that are going to be reaching for those are going to be people trying to assemble full sets of this, which, keep in mind, is $24,000 worth of product. So down the road, you're going to see ambitious people selling full sets of this on the high-end group. With very few competitors because it's not going to be easy to pull that set together
1: yeah do people still make sets i feel like that's gone by the wayside but i
0: I think for something like this they will i mean this is a collectible like a lot of the market forming around this will be people that just want to have the product that wizards put out for the 30th anniversary that had thousand dollar packs only chance to get a lotus in 30 years that was from witsy watsy directly So yeah, I would expect that there will be a very small market. It's like guys like my dad. There might be, I don't know, 10,000 of them possibly in the US who are interested in owning a full set of this. Can I say I'm very happy they did two versions? I would have preferred
1: one, honestly, but two is fine, but not three versions or four or five. They kept it simple. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I, I I I, I think as I said earlier, I would have... Not done any of this in modern frame. I don't think there's a lot of value in that. Um, I would have replaced that entirely with just a whole different set of cards and then only done the retro frame slot just for the duels and the power nine so that you were guaranteed one of those in that slot. Or you could, you know, depending on how you want to structure the pressure against CE, ICE, and revised stuff you can fiddle with that. You can still make the drop rates the same in that slot, but have other things that could be gotten there, like other retro-frame cards that are not necessarily from beta, that were from, you know, historic, like interesting nostalgic cards from Magic's history.
1: Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine we don't get Urza's Saga, or that that chronicle with all the Gaia's Cradle and things like that in the coming years. If this, I mean... If this is like anything else, they do it once and then all of a sudden it's 0 to 100 um, and it fits with the reprints that I, I would imagine that would be coming up here at some point.
0: All right, so I think we've beat this to death. Let me, let me give my final summary on this. I suspect it's going to sell out. Because it's going to sell out, there's going to be a window of opportunity to profit on it. People that can afford to get in on it go ahead and grab a copy. You probably can't go wrong um, on that path. I'd be pretty surprised... If it was easy to get boxes for like way below retail for any amount of time, um, but it's not without risk. It, it, it could be that people buy $20,000 boxes, then they all try to sell it simultaneously and the market does form below cost. That could happen. So... I don't think anyone needs to feel bad about skipping this, taking a big step back, or waiting to see how it plays out and then deciding what to do once the singles are in the market. But if you think that Lotus is going to be $10, <laughs> yeah. go go ahead and buy a set and sell it to me for $10. And I guarantee you I'll buy it for that much. Uh, moving along, there was a 30th anniversary secret layer slash advent calendar. I missed the advent calendar part. Yeah, it's it's appar- apparently to help people count down for the holidays. So I'm not sure if it's going to be an actual advent calendar where you have to flip open a thing and pull the card out. I, I kind of hope that's not true because if that's how they set it up, I could so easily see them damaging these cards by tabling a product design, a packaging style that is meant to hold the cards cleanly but actually ends up doing edgeware to the cards or something. So I'm not 100% clear on what they're doing there because they didn't show off the packaging. They just showed off seven cards that will be included. And apparently it goes live on October 24th to see the full set of 30 cards that are included for the 30th anniversary drop. And then it goes on sale November 1st. And this one is $150. So that's five bucks a card. And I'm presuming there's some bonus surprise or something. And this is part of why I don't think it's particularly astute for people to say, oh, Wizards ruined my 30th anniversary appreciation with these 30th anniversary packs for a thousand bucks, because they're also coughing up what is looking to shaping up to be an extremely sexy looking secret layer, where it's only five bucks a card instead of the usual 10 bucks a card. And one of the gimmicks here is that they all have different art styles or a mix of art styles. And there's a chance that some of the cards will be foil. So it's not that you can buy the non-foil and foil versions. I think they said that there is a 30% chance that any given card is foil. So you, have, you, you always get the same 30 cards, but of your 30 cards, presumably uh, nine of them, will be foil. And if you buy one and I buy one, my nine foils will be different than your nine foils. And I suspect that is going to lead to a much bigger gap in the foil to non-foil price ratio once these singles hit the market. Yeah, this is the first time you haven't been able to select foil versus non-foil. Exactly. And
1: it'll make the foil premium, which is a good thing, uh, because otherwise you can just target it based on whether it's high EDH demand versus not. Yeah, so I mean, I know, I know we're on the same page here. Let's let's not bury the lead. This this is an incredible buy, based on what we're seeing so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the arguments to ignore the thirtieth anniversary packs is that this could just be more profitable. Ease could 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 easily end up true because at that half price per card, as long as there aren't too many misses, which is possible. They've only showed us seven cards. If if there's like five more good cards and the rest are kind of duds then it gets a little dubious because you're back to kind of $10 a card for the important cards. But so far, the quote-unquote important cards they've shown us are very important cards. There's an incredible-looking Borderless Necropotence, an card. This is easily the best version that's ever existed. There's a Dan Fraser Old Border Chrome Mox that matches up with all the other Dan Fraser rocks they've been shipping out on Secret Layers this year. People are going to want that full set of Fraser Rocks at some point, and all of them are specs on that basis. There's a really nice-looking Bloodbraid Elf that doesn't matter too much these days. There's a really good-looking Borderless Birthing Pod. Um, there's a sec- the second Elspeth uh, Sons Champion of the Week, right? Because the chibi art version that was sold in the hasbro convention edition this weekend probably has some people a little regretful now that they've given us a rebecca gway old like a retro frame planeswalker so it's a wall of text just like the karn great creator and teferi they gave us before both of which have done well will the elspeth do as well i'm not sure um they also showed us nicol bolus god pharaoh in chibi style borderless and then probably the other really sexy one is the shark typhoon here that looks like a a monster movie poster with giant sharks flying around in a tornado. Like, it's easily going to be the preferred version of that card in all oh, formats. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, what, what struck me about this is, so there's there's been several products where I've seen it and I just said, well, it's I, absolute no-brainer. Uh, Mythic edition original was one of those. Oh yeah, the yeah double yeah, yeah. I mean double masters, uh Dra- double masters twenty twenty two draft boosters, which the collectors wound up doing better in the end. But draft was very solid, and you know I made that call in the Discord because e- these things tend to perpetuate if it's a good solid product the initial previews will be solid and they'll carry through it doesn't often you know start slow and end big or start big and end slow usually whatever you see is what you get with a lot of these things and this is is looking incredibly solid chrome mox is a 60 70 dollar card in its normal regular edition it's an, it's an 80 dollar card right now 80 it's even higher than last time i looked a- and this is something that this layer yeah there'll be supply out there but it's a limited i I guess that's the other part is it's a limited edition right is they've already said it's a very limited edition it's only a few days maximum and the last time that happened was the perfection drop it was the kitty drop that had um you know several uncommons like that you know, are all fine, but not amazing cards and not expensive on their own right. But despite that, even though their basic versions were cheap, that perfection drop is incredibly expensive now. And why is that? Because it was only on the market for a few days. Not that many people knew about it. Here, very similar scenario. I think more people will know, but the same premise exists because it's a limited edition print run. It's limited edition run, and they have to take action in a short period of time. Right. So between, I mean, Necropotence, Chromox, Shark Typhoon, throw everything else out. Right there, you're close to the value of the drop, on its own. Yeah. Just, despite the other 23 cards that are going to come with it, plus maybe an insert, maybe not. Who knows?
0: It, it seems incredible. And, and 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 never mind if you pull a foil Chromox Fraser. Oh, Yeah. So so I really think the biggest risk on this one is that that packaging ends up a shit show and people get a bunch of damage cards yeah but even if
1: they do the i've been pleasantly surprised when i've reached out to wizards for secret layer specific issues they are very accommodating don't know why what's different it's but it's they it's do harder well. for them to do that when it's a limited run true true but we'll see um and worst comes to worst you, you knock off 15 percent,
0: sell lp it'll be all right <laughs> All right, so they also showed us uh, a bunch of stuff from Dominaria Remastered, which is a Time Spire Remastered analog that's coming out uh, in early 2023. They showed us the Draft Booster boxes and the Collector Booster boxes. And it looks like there's going to be Old Border Counterspell associated with that. The promo, store promo for the set looks like Birds of Paradise, and there's a Borderless Bird of Paradise associated with the set. There's Sneak Attack, Swords to Plowshares, Tatiova Benthic Druid as an Old Border. They showed off Time Stretch in both regular Old Border and Borderless versions. So it looks like they're using that that kind of standardized collector booster model that they've established with the premium sets where there will be, uh, similar to MH2, there's going to be Old Borders and Borderless as the two alternate treatments. Pretty funny to see them uh, show us some absolutely incredible art for Jester's Cap, a card that I don't think has been tabled for most of the last 20 years anywhere, Yep, um, and is an amusing inclusion here, but it's going to be a kind of a feel-bad to pull any.
1: Right. You don't redo Black Lotus, but you do three versions of
0: Jester's Cap. <laughs> it makes zero sense. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, just, just as Cap, super cool to see the art for it, but again, uh, a, a very weird one. Now, Wizards also announced that there are forthcoming secret layers in 2023 that are going to be based on Assassin's Creed, which is kind of a shoulder shrug for me. Like, that's very similar to me as the Fortnite drop was. Like, I just care about which cards are included. Um, don't particularly expect the execution on that to be all that exciting um but they also announced a partnership with final fantasy which surprises me a little bit because the final fantasy tcg is arguably a competitor to magic um and has been for the better part of the last decade so to see them cross licensing into and MA- into magic is a bit surprising yeah i guess i mean i never really
1: thought about the tcg just because it's it never seemed to be that big but maybe it is um But I will say, as a Final Fantasy nut, this is one of the first licensed drops where I'm like, you know what? I would absolutely buy a Sethroth or, you know, Cloud or something like that, specifically because of the character. So I think each of these drops will hit people differently, but I'm excited for the the Final Fantasy one. It kind of fits the theme for the most part. The Assassin's Creed, the games were bad. I don't
0: need a magic card of it, too, let's be honest. (laughs) I'm... I'm sure that'll set some people off. <laughs> uh, I'm mostly a Final Fantasy tactics guy. Like that's definitely oh, yeah. my like my it. part of the hobby. And that's the art style I'm most attracted to as well. And when when people, uh, if people recall the Amano Liliana from War of the Spark, that's the artist that did a bunch of the art for for Final Fantasy. Um, so very curious to see whether he's involved with that secret layer. Because if so, that will be gangbusters. Um and yeah i mean there's there's a lot of ways that that could go right um and yet before they dropped all this on us they had also revealed during the Hasbro uh PulseCon this weekend that Transformers as in more than meets the eye will nice. be special includes in the brothers war um in all the products except draft boosters um and so they were showing off a whole bunch of different characters. I believe I've, I got to double check, but I think it was twenty-four in total that were revealed. And I think fifteen. Fifteen, maybe that's correct. Yeah, yeah, 15. It's, yeah. You're right. It's fifteen. So a bunch of very playable cards, primarily for EDH. They are not standard legal, as I understand it, um, and. I don't think you because they're they're not in draft boosters because they don't want you to play them in draft either. So yeah. Um I flagged a few of these in the Discord. Megatron jumped out at me as a very good card. Um The cool thing here is that they have two they're two-sided and they're very keyword, like dense in text. So these cards have a lot of angles to them that are going to open up opportunities to abuse them given time. Megatron, for instance, is a three. Red, white, black, 7-5, but it has more than meets the eye, which allows you to cast it for a lower casting cost, which is 1 Mardu, so 4 total. That puts it into play as a 4-5 vehicle that's only a vehicle on your turn. So it dodges sorcery speed removal, but then self-activates without being crude on your turn, which is pretty nice. When it attacks, you can sac another artifact, and when you do, Megatron deals damage equal to the sacrificed artifact's mana value to target creature. If excess damage would be dealt to the creature that, this way, instead that damage is dealt to the creature's controller. So that's just like some incremental value. It's setting up Mardu artifacts matters, engines with goblin engineers and the like. You're probably playing this in a Brea shell and EDH for value. When it When it converts to robot mode, your opponents can't cast spells during combat. And at the beginning of your post-combat main phase, you can convert Megatron. If you do, you add a colorless for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. So if he attacks for seven and you hit, you get to add seven colorless to your mana pool in your, in your second main phase. All, all of this is very solid. Mardu, Artifacts Matters, EDH stuff. Uh, Optimus Prime didn't seem particularly exciting to me. It was just kind of like a big beater that interacted with plus one plus one counters. Uh Goldbug Humanity's Ally looked pretty good. That's uh a can come in for white and a blue as a human spells you control can't be countered ability. And whenever Goldbug and at least one human attack, you draw a card and convert. So it attacks as a one-three, then he turns into a three-three on the attack, and then he has prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to attacking humans you control. And if you cast your second spell, you turn it back into the one-three, attack, draw the card protect your humans, etc. cetera. Uh, a nice little cycle in Humans Matters decks.
1: So I'm amazed that you've been able to digest these with
0: everything else
1: going on. I, I'll admit, I mean, I, I looked at them. I, I didn't think any looked particularly powerful. I mean, they were all, there was a lot of fine cards, even maybe good cards, but nothing that said, oh, you, you know, you have to pay attention to this specific card. Uh, but it, it's just amazing to me that, wizards would put this out with so much else going on I just it just seems such an afterthought right now
0: um, part, part part of it is that infinity and 40k were supposed to be out already 40k was designated for late summer and infinity was supposed to be last spring so they have injured their hype cycle this fall by shifting those two uh, highly discussed products you know 40k is a massive hit Infinity is the opposite. Both are getting tons of attention. And and that is overlapping over top of, you know, Dominary United just came out a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and and that had tabernacles in it. And that's already old news. <laughs> old news and five. One of the things that
1: I I'm not surprised just considering how much product is out there now, but Dominary United. Collector boosters. I haven't been following set boosters as much, but collector boosters have been falling despite having Tabernacle knuckles and other legend cards in them, and seem to be continuing to fall. And it, it, it's just one example, I think, of something that I think previously would have been so hyped. It, yeah. it would have had a little more time, a little bit more yeah. time. It, it things moved on so quickly. You, you look a month ago, and the prices prices were pretty reasonable, and now you know they're already starting to fall. Below,
0: where you know many folks got them at pretty good prices. So, so looking at these these transformers, I think I agree with your initial assessment, which is there's a bunch of good cards. There's no jeweled lotus here, um, but there are cards that are going to see like a, a lot of play. Um, the they interact with specific themes. So, for instance, like Ratchet is a, is a good little life gains matters card. Um, you've got uh cyclonus the saboteur does like a bunch of uh craziness late game where he's a two five flyer when he deals combat damage he connives then if cyclonus's power is five or greater you convert it and you can get an additional beginning phase after your combat step which obviously is abusable so transformers are extremely popular uh product that also has a 30-year history like magic um international movies have done hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars despite many of them being very mediocre uh hasbro cranks out fresh magic toy i mean transformers toys all the time it's just a constant stream of product just like it is with magic and they used 80s cartoon art for which these i characters, do like i think it was good which is going to hit the sweet spot with those 30 and 40 somethings that watched that cartoon as kids. So I would expect these to be. I mean, you got to look at these as the analog is in Ikoria, they did the Godzilla inserts. Right. This is clearly better. I mean, not only is Transformers also popular in Japan, but it's also popular in a lot of other places. And I would imagine cards like, you know, Foil Megatron, Foil Optimus, Foil Soundwave, Foil Starscream are going to be money down the road, eventually. Yes. So uh, what's your... I didn't buy any of the Godzilla cards. I
1: just... It wasn't my thing. What was your lessons learned on timing and kind of uh, what to expect generally for was preparing? There was
0: two or three cards there that were big money gainers if you got them in Japanese. Because keep in mind, I, Japanese Ikoria was available in the US which is an unusual thing they don't usually put japanese product into the into the US pipeline um but you could get it from US distributors at the time and they got very cheap but the foil borderless Ghidorahs has got up to like 150 at one point and mm-hmm. the mothra was similarly popular and the a couple of the godzillas and if you re- recall correctly the early on in in covid the death corona version of godzilla they had pulled it and changed the name hmm. on the subsequent print runs in the regular uh, packs. And so people were chasing that card for a while and pushed the price way up and then it collapsed like crazy later. Um, so in terms of lessons learned, popular characters are likely to do well. <laughs> like gotcha. if, if, despite Optimus being, looking like a very medium EDH card, I'll be pretty surprised if in three years, like foil mythic Optimus Prime has not doubled from its low all
1: right fair enough we'll have to keep an eye on
0: those uh they also showed us the mishra meld components so we we had already seen mishra but we hadn't seen what he melded with um so there's mishra claimed by gix which is two black red for a three five phyrexian human artificer Whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. So this is in a deck that wants to be attacking Fast and Furious. Unfortunately, he doesn't have haste, Um, but if he and the Phyrexian Dragon Engine attack together, you get to meld them. Now, the Phyrexian Dragon Engine is a 2-2 double strike for three, so a fairly respectable card. Uh, enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand if you do draw three cards. That's got unearthed three double red. That reminds me of Bedlam Reveler. And seems pretty playable, actually. Mishra, not so much. But yeah, the dragon? I, I've, it
1: depends if there's an aggro deck that is good enough, I think. Um, so what's the... What was that creature that used to attack made everything pink for one? Two red and two... Hellrider. Hellrider. I mean, this is... Trying to do a Hellrider impression with Upside, but Hellrider had Haste. Am I correct on that?
0: Mm, I, I, I just can't. put it into my Gearson was... deck
1: the other day, and I still can't remember. Hellrider. So, and that that was pretty... Yeah, it did have Haste. So it was a 3-3 with Haste. Uh, Hellrider, when a creature you control attacks, Hellrider does one damage to defending player. So, that's somewhat of a comparable card without the Haste, but... A lot more upside um so i think it depends on what the shells are but the
0: the melding i mean the backside is is pretty solid it's crazy it's legendary artifact creature Phyrexian artificer and it's called mishra lost to Phyrexia. and to be clear you will take the backsides of the three five mishra and the dragon engine and you flip them over and put them together and they form a giant card on the table and when it enters the battlefield or attacks you choose three target opponent discards two cards Mishra deals 3 damage to any target. Destroy target artifact or planeswalker. Creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn. Creatures you don't control get minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. Create two tapped power stone tokens. Which is, by the way, I think we're going to see a bunch of cards that say create tapped power stone tokens. So. We
1: need a place to use them still, but I'm assuming that's coming as well. Yeah,
0: there's got to be some kind of engine that works with those. So... Yeah, the backsides of both Urza and Mishra once melded are obviously crazy. It feels to me like they're much more likely to be a thing in EDH than they are anywhere else. Standard is kind of a maybe. Um, You you really kind of got to show me how good is Urza as a 2-4 that makes your artifacts, instants, and sorceries cost less. I'm not... It's not that hard to convince me that the Might Stone and the Weak Stone is a playable card because I think that five mana, draw two cards, or kill a creature, and then it can tap for mana is actually pretty good because it helps activate Urza, but I haven't seen the other components that would justify putting those two cards in a deck. Like, you need all the build-arounds that flesh out that list. And likewise, as you said with Mishra, like, is it justifiable as a Hellrider analog in this standard format? Your safest and bet is to stay Right now the answer is no. Yeah, the, the yeah. safest bet is to stay well clear of these on pre-order because they'll be way oh, yeah. overpriced. They probably collapse super hard, because even in EDH these will be role players. Um in EDH I could I could imagine Urza and the Mightstone Stone seeing more play than the Mishra Dragon engine thing. Cause the backside of Urza is extra crazy. And and Urza is also a I think the name that people are more interested in nostalgic about Mission was, was always kind of the second run brother people like winners <laughs> <laughs> fair enough all right so 30th anniversary packs 150 dollars secret layer is probably going to be very good dominaria remastered uh shaping up to be a, a important premium set next uh next winter assassin's creed final fantasy transformers in the brothers war Whew i got a bonus topic
1: that we can touch on very briefly since we're, oh, we're going a little doke. long we didn't even touch the pioneer decks that were announced all oh, four yeah. pioneer decks we didn't even talk about it that's how much happened this week uh, but yeah I, without getting into all the details it, it, there wasn't a lot of surprises but um you know as you're looking at pioneer related specs Make sure to check those decks. There's a lot of four of's uh, of things that you'd kind of expect, but still need to be looking at that. And if it's in there, I'd steer clear for a while. And if it's not, then you know you really have a year on pioneer cards to really have them appreciate and go crazy in price. So that's just something to be aware of. There's is it Phoenix Girl Stompy Demir Control and the mono white, I believe. Um, yeah, Urza's Humans, white black.
0: I think the most notable thing was two more Light Phoenix, right? In the, in the yeah, Phoenix I mean,
1: two Arclight Phoenix. Every single deck has one uh, Shockland, so just a little bit of supply, but won't add a ton to it. Another four-time Bone Crusher, which is something we've seen over and over again. Um, looking through the lists here, you know, not a lot of surprises. Um, well,
0: the, the one thing that everybody flagged that they were pissy about was there's four expressive iteration in the list, but that card is banned mm-hmm. in Pioneer
1: yeah 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 so you can probably play it with the exact deck list like uh exactly um so uh, you know some some smaller things but those are the ones that that stuck out with me and also some of the lands so there's like four rockfall veil which is interesting because the uh the other lands in that cycle weren't included in the other decks so again you gotta
0: gotta look at the decks know what's in them to plan your specs but it is something to keep an eye out Okay, I I can see that topic and raise you one final one. There are Path to the Pro Tour promos that were unveiled today. Um, These are for local qualifiers, uh, top finishers at qualifying events, and the regional championship participants. And the participation card is Mystical Dispute with very cool art. Um, The top finishers card is Thing in the Ice with uh, also very... uh, kind of hilarious uh, illustration on that one. And then the regional championship participants all get a Snapcaster mage borderless with new art, which is pretty good looking. And I would imagine there is a play to be made on at least Mystical Dispute and Snapcaster. Yeah, Mystical Dispute should get cheap
1: because it's the most... Yeah, because... Yeah, participation promo. So that should get cheap and then maybe appreciate. Although, you know, again, I've said this on cast. I generally have a pretty strong grill against um uncommons because they just are so easy to reprint and so i i would personally steer clear of anything that's uncommon that's at a price point above a few bucks but you know i'm sure somebody's gonna make money on them probably
0: well the fanciest or like the nicest version of a competitive card can still appreciate because it's not actually an uncommon the question is how many ten thousands or tens of thousands of these hit the market because if it's hundreds versus thousands versus a hundred thousand it makes a huge difference um mystical dispute sees tons of sideboard play in pioneer and modern so uh, there's certainly some demand and i think the snapcaster mage will be well liked um i'm not a huge fan of the original art or the previous promo art so this looks like a pretty solid option
1: yeah it, the art's nice definitely
0: nice and snapcaster is about five years too late <laughs> uh they also showed off a bunch of promos for next year that they hadn't told us about before uh for Rexia all will be one the 30th anniversary promos are core haven uh a vindicate, it looks like exalted angel and temple of the false god. It's thrown off there because it was an Italian. Um, and then for March of the Machine, which is a spring set, eternal witness, court of calling, and Niv Mizzet the Firemind, all in or- old border, looking very cool. For Lord of the Rings, the promos are going to be Tarmogoyf, Glendalendra Archmage, Acidic Slime, and Terastodon. Boy has you know Tarmogoyf has taken a tumble when it's yes. a, it's a promo. It used Very to be a hundred dollar card Oof. sitting next to Terastodon, i mean that's just embarrassing for wilds of eldraine which is coming out a year from now uh we've got hornet queen harvester of souls colonia hydra and goblin rabble master in old border and then for lost caverns of ixalan which will be the november 2023 set they will cap things off with Dragonlord atarka dramatic reversal path of ancestry and beast whisperer uh and then apparently there's a there's a set that has not been named yet. Set codename Polo. And they will have the last of the promos for the 30th anniversary. It will be Dovin's Veto in Old Border. Veto, Thorn of the Dust Rose, Deadly Dispute, and another unrevealed card that apparently is related to that set. Now, I saw some Pro traders mention something about being upset that they bought Old Border foil Dovin's vetoes at some point as a spec. Uh, first of all, those have already gotten there. Second you've got a full year to unload those and lots of people will a miss this news or forget they saw it. So I would imagine in that, the busiest part of our year in the January to April season where people get their tax returns and we sell the most magic cards, you're still going to unload your old border Dovin's vetoes just fine. Agreed.
1: That card moves for sure. Um, so one card on here, dramatic reversal a, I can't believe that's 2016 now. Also, the foils of that as a common are thirteen bucks, so that was that was a solid one. I have I have one of those that pained me to
0: buy, but one of those EDH combo cards mm-hmm. that uh, you know makes you ref- it helps you reflect on why Paradox Engine needs to be banned in that format, yeah. <laughs> given that it True. casts the card all the time. <sighs> uh, Dovin's veto. I
1: mean, that's the what third or fourth premium treatment. They keep going back to the well in
0: these uncommons. I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll see how this one does. I mean, the, the question is, how many are the stores actually getting? And in that process, how many of them get into the wild? Because one of the things that just isn't happening is the buy listing of a lot of this stuff that used to happen at major events. Like, they just way less big events. So I, I, I question how many of these, like, cool promos make it back into their hands instead of going into people's EDH decks never to return. Old border foil deadly dispute, that's gonna be a popular one. That's gonna go straight into Corvold next fall.
1: Yeah, I mean and I I'm not too down on uncommon promos that are very rare. So just to give you an example, Dovin's Veto and Time Spiral Remastered Foil is fifty bucks. You know, versus the Friday Night Magic photo uh promo for Dovin's Veto is five, right? A little less than that. So it all depends on supply. If you get a limited print run and great quality, nothing's going to hold it back. But when you get even a medium-sized print run, it can really hurt hurt those promos.
0: All right. We, we've given it our all, folks. I hope you uh, feel like you're up to speed. If you got questions or you want to hang out, come on over to the ProTrader Discord. Put a cap on it. Where can people find you online, Oko? You can find me online at OkoAssassin on Twitter or my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. How about you, James? Uh, You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, where you can argue with me about the 30th edition, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of our ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast
1: Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy, uh, collectible stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode of MTG Fast Finance. As always, James, appreciated and enjoyed the discussion.
0: Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everybody, for patiently discussing thirtieth edition on Twitter today. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MGG Fast Finance, where we discuss the Triple Black Lotus releasing in twenty twenty four.